God is literally putting his name and reputation on the line. Mm-hmm. And if he were to, to, to break faith, he, he would violate the, who he is at, mm-hmm. at the most basic level of his being. And God will never do that. So uh, we, we can have absolute confidence that God keeps every word that, mm-hmm. that he makes. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Are you in the Orange County or Santa Ana area? We are exploring a church plant, Santa Ana Reformed, with the oversight and accountability of Oceanside URC and Reverend Danny Hyde. If you are interested or you know someone who might be interested in the area, please check out our show notes for a link to sign up for updates. Our Twitter or Instagram at guiltgracepod or Santa Ana URC for the same sign up link or simply email us at santaannareformed at gmail.com. We begin meetings on October 28th at 6.30 p.m. at 4th Street Market in downtown Santa Ana. Now on with the episode. Welcome everybody to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring myself, Nick Fulweiler and Peter Bell. We're doing something uh, super exciting this season in season two. We're interviewing top theologians and pastors across the country on topics that they have extensive research and knowledge on based on their reformed church. It's gonna be delivered in a concise way responding to some of the most common questions both believers and non-believers have. And with our special guest today, I'd like to have Peter Bell, uh, my co-host, go ahead and introduce. Yeah, so I'm excited to introduce Dr. Guy Waters from Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson. He's the James M. Baird Jr. Professor of New Testament and Academic Dean, I guess, of both Houston and Dallas, and he's part of the Jackson campus. He's an ordained minister in the PCA. He's been a professor for a, a little while. He's been a pastor. Uh, he's been a college professor, a seminary professor. And so we're excited to have him on and talk about covenant theology. Glad to have you on, Dr. Waters. Nick, Peter, thank you so much for having me. Thrilled to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, we're just going to ask a few questions and uh, please feel free to elaborate and just kind of that you're the meat and potatoes of this. So it, the, the the floor yeah, is the yours. Vegetable sides, you're the meat and potatoes. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about covenant theology. Uh, mm-hmm. So my first question would just be, you know, what is the Reformed understanding of covenant theology? And is this different from what's understood outside the Reformed church? Mm-hmm. Good. Covenant theology is a phrase that describes really the theology of the Bible. As we we go from Genesis to Revelation, what we see is that God will come to people and he will make covenants with them. Uh, These administrations that bind him to them and and them to him, and that's the way he works his uh, promises and purposes out. In history. And Reformed theology has said it's not that God makes a covenant here, a covenant there, a covenant over there. 
but they're like pearls on a string. And that helps to hold the whole scripture together as you go from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. So you see that the one unfolding purpose of God, which is to bring glory to himself through the salvation of sinners from every tribe, tongue, people, and race. Mm -hmm. And it's through covenants that he accomplishes those purposes. So covenant theology really opens up the whole of scripture uh, to, to readers, for understanding the Christian life, for understanding what it means to live in community with the people of God, and, and in particular to understand what God is, is doing in the world today. Mm, yes. And I mean, I got into this a year or two ago reading Meredith Klein and Gerhardus Voss and a couple of, um, I guess, the big names and, and somewhat lesser known now. Um, but I also grew up, and I think um, Nick did too, like under dispensationalism and um, if you can explain real quick how dispensationalism sees covenants or God's relationship with people versus how covenant theologians see that. Sure. Well, dispensationalists are, are fellow believers. We've got some differences with them about the way we, we understand scripture's teaching. And they would certainly recognize that there are covenants in scripture, but they don't see covenants as serving that integrating purpose mm. that I described a moment ago. They, they don't see it as holding the whole scripture together. Rather, what they see are a series of dispensations. These are periods of history that follow one another. They do not see them as organically connected, one unfolding out of the other. <clears throat> the way that covenant theologians would see covenants in scripture unfolding from one another. Yeah. And the important word to understand each dispensation is test. So God comes to people, he gives them a test, they fail it, mm. and then he moves on to the next dispensation. Right. And the other thing to understand about dispensationalism that's different from covenant theology Covenant theology says that God from uh, the beginning <clears throat> was working out his purpose to save sinners through Jesus Christ, one people. And dispensationalism doesn't disagree, of course, that God is saving sinners through Jesus Christ, but mm -hmm. they say God has another people, Israel. Mm -hmm. You have Israel and you have the church. And God makes promises to Israel that relate to the land and earthly things. And God makes promises that relate to the church that are spiritual and relate to heavenly things. So God's uh, purposes, his dispensations, really toggle along those lines. You have Israel, you have the church, you have earthly promises and destinies, you have spiritual promises and destinies. And so that uh, is going to explain the uh, really the unfolding work of God in Scripture. Mm. And they would see God's overarching purpose as certainly to glorify himself, but they wouldn't say that God's aim in, in redemptive history is to, to glorify himself through the salvation of sinners from every tribe, tongue, people, and mm. race. Well, those would be some of the most important differences. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
can we break any of these covenants? I think I'm kind of rhetorically asking that because I already know that we do. <laughs> so it's more of asking you just to emphasize that. And uh, on the other end, can God break any covenants? And what would happen in a way if, if he did? Mm-hmm. No, it's outside his nature to do so. Right. Well, you know, Hebrews stresses emphatically that uh, when, when God comes to us and he gives us promises and he makes these covenants, he, he does so on oath. He's, he swears by himself. There's nothing greater to swear by. So God is literally putting his name and reputation on the line. Mm-hmm. And if he were to, to, to break faith, he, he would violate the, who he is at, at the most basic level of his being. And God will never do that. So uh, we, we can have absolute confidence that God keeps every word that, mm-hmm. that he makes. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to us, here I think we have to think along a couple of lines. So <clears throat> God comes to people and, and he enters into covenant with them. But when you read both the Old Testament and the New Testament, you you see in the covenant community, what we call the church today, in the covenant community, you you have some who believe and you have some who don't believe. Uh And for those who uh, are are true believers, uh, that is, this is God's purpose in election, come to fruition in history. They've they've come to faith in Jesus Christ. They've repented. they're, they're walking with the Lord. Uh, they will persevere to the end. They will never break covenant mm. with God because God has pledged by his grace to keep them. Doesn't mean that they're sinless. Uh, it doesn't mean that they don't have to take the commands and warnings of scripture seriously, but they can lean on God's promise uh, to keep them. Mm. Now, we also know in the covenant community that there are unbelievers and of course, they are invited to come to faith in Jesus Christ, just, just like every sinner is invited to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But if they refuse Christ, then God counts them as, as having broken that covenant to the degree that they were participating in it. They, they were outwardly connected to that covenant, and God is going to hold them to account on the last day for it. So it's a serious thing to be part of God's people and to refuse. And, and that's where, again, uh, the epistle to the Hebrews is so important. Those warnings are calling the covenant community, don't refuse him who speaks. You know, press on, continue on, and encouraging them towards God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and that's... So, that's um, that was something too. I mean, I read your your federal theology, or the covenant theology and federal vision book um, a while ago. And one of my professors is really big into that as well, Dr. Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm wondering too, because there has been kind of a strand that looks at the covenants and says there is kind of a future thing that we can break. And so kind of nuancing that and saying no, that's not what we believe. This is what we believe. And so it's kind of not separate saying that they're non-believers, but to say, hey, this is, this is the true position that we can break this. Right. Exactly. And, and you, you referenced Gerhardus Voss, and he very helpfully uh, points out that when you're talking about membership in the community, you have some who are 
inwardly, uh, vitally, uh, in covenant with God, and, and those who are only outwardly or externally in covenant with God. And that's a critical distinction, and the federal vision effectively does away with that and says, we're not going to work with that kind of distinction. You're, you're either in or you're out. Gotcha. And the problem is then you, you're lumping everybody together mm-hmm. and you, you end up with <clears throat> a little more complex than this, but you, mm-hmm. you end up with uh, them saying effectively, uh, look, you're um, united to Jesus Christ, you're justified, but you really can fall away completely mm. and finally and the the scripture won't let us go there yeah no that's helpful that distinction between yeah membership in the church and membership in the covenant and the community of grace is a yeah that's a huge distinction i think we have to make mm-hmm. mm. so in other words for us believers we have the the same covenant uh, as the identity of christ right and then if you're a non-believer, you're more on the covenant of relying on yourself under the law. Is that right? Well, that's right. So that, yeah. that's, a, that's a good point, Nick. And that allows us to expand our, our discussion of, of covenants in Scripture. I, we've been speaking for the last few minutes largely about what we call the covenant of grace. This, yeah. this is the, the covenant that God makes with sinners. It's administered in, in various um, covenants or administrations, but it's all one gracious covenant. Mm-hmm. It gives promises to save sinners by Christ. But we have to remember, how, how did we get here as sinners mm-hmm. that God would come to us this way? Well, Adam was our representative in the garden. He disobeyed God. In Adam, all, all died. We inherited in him sin and death. We sinned in him. He's our representative. And so uh, in him, we experience, we receive judicially the the wage of sin, which is death. So that's that's what we call the covenant of works. And we, outside of Jesus Christ, are still under the covenant of works. We we are sinners. We, We are justly um, liable to the penalty of death because of the sin of Adam that's, that's been counted to us and our sins as well. And so even if you're in the church of Jesus Christ, if you're not united to Jesus Christ, if you're not trusting in him, then you're not in some neutral place of indifference. You, you remain in Adam and, and you are a, a sinner. You're under God's judgment. Uh, and you're under his, his just penalty of death. So, so there's an urgency. And you see, again, you see that in Hebrews, uh, to, to listen to those wonderful gospel promises and not turn away from them. Mm. I like that God makes it um, a covenant, really, uh, for, us to, for us to understand him the best way. Is just, it's a legal contract. And he makes it so concrete to us versus an ambiguous, uh, maybe vague promise that we have to search for in the Bible. It's a very clear, here's a contract for believers that are 
uh, follow my son Jesus. And then here is a con a separate contract for people outside of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so I, I like how it's very clear and, and um, cut and dry on that. Yeah. Either yeah. under law or under grace. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, and the news is even better because sometimes people hear covenant of grace. Okay. We have promises. God calls us to repent and believe. So that must mean if I just repent and believe enough, then God will give these promises to me. That's how it works, tit for tat. And that's not, of course, how it works. Mm. Because faith and repentance are gifts that God gives sinners uh, within the covenant. So mm -hmm. if we've come to faith in Christ, then even that faith is God's gift. Salvation mm. is of grace from start to finish. And the reason is because the one who merits all the blessings of the covenant of grace is not us, it's Jesus Christ, the last Adam. So Adam failed and we failed in him. And Jesus Christ comes sent by the Father and he does two things. He pays the penalty that we deserve for uh, violating that first covenant, the covenant of works. And then he fulfills, he accomplishes everything that should have been fulfilled in the covenant of works. The one who does these things shall live by them. And that's what Jesus Christ did in his obedience unto death. And so all the blessings up to and including eternal life, Christ has earned. We, we don't earn a single one of them. And they're freely given to us. And so that lifts a tremendous burden off our shoulders. We're not climbing our way into heaven by good works. Christ has, has done the good works to bring us into covenant with God. Yes, there are things to do, of course, but we, we know that we're not uh, earning something, or if we do this, then God will do that. Uh, the whole arrangement is of grace. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a good word. Yeah, that's, that's needed. That's needed for us, needed for those who are listening. It's a good word. Mm-hmm. Um, how does the, how does covenant theology inform our understanding of the Trinity and its relationship to us as the believers? Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's a great question that gives us an opportunity to talk about another angle of covenant mm -hmm. theology that mm -hmm. we haven't talked about yet. So we've, we've talked about two primary covenants in history, the covenant of works at creation before the fall the covenant of grace, which comes after the fall. In eternity, we often speak of what has been called the covenant of redemption. And that covenant of redemption is an agreement, a compact among the three persons of the Trinity, uh, the, the one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And that covenant of redemption in eternity it lays the groundwork for the outworking of God's covenants in history. And so we, we have the, the Father setting his electing love on his people. We have the Son who agrees, who volunteers uh, to, to take on humanity, to come into this world, to live, die, rise again for sinners. We have the Holy Spirit who pledges to... Um, attend the ministry of Jesus Christ and 
to, to be sent as the spirit of Christ, to apply the work of Christ to his people uh, at, at the right time, at the time of the Father. So the covenants in history and our salvation personally in covenant with God is rooted all the way back in eternity itself, in this covenant of redemption. And so really at every stage from eternity to creation, to redemption, to consummation, to the end, we, we see God's triunity on full display. And that, that's God's purpose. That's his intention. He, he wants to glorify himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in all of his works. And so uh, the, the covenants of scripture help us to see exactly how he does that. Wow. That, that's amazing that his covenant promises are just as valid to us sinners that don't that don't deserve it as to is his is the covenant to himself in the trinity um it's just as solid so and he had covenant with the three persons of the trinity eternity before even the world started um and so I think it shows the, that he's a relationship God. He has a relationship with himself in the Trinity. And that's his, maybe a motivation to have a covenant with us and a relationship with us as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's right. And somewhere in his writings, uh, Gerhardus Voss comments that God will never stop loving us because he never started. <laughs> yeah. And Covenant theology helps us to see the truth. Yeah. yeah, that's huge. And it was explained to me about a week ago, a week or two ago, from one of my professors, Dr. Ba, and he was using the triangle that um, Gerhardus Foss uses in his, I think, teaching to the epistles, or teaching to the Hebrew, yes. uh, Hebrews, mm -hmm. um, of the covenant redemption is at the top of the triangle, if people want to kind of visualize this. And it, it, shares these rays down throughout or throughout redemptive history and so we see from genesis through to revelation how that inter-trinitarian inter covenant has displayed itself within history so it's always that one covenant but throughout history yes mm, that's right why is the understanding of covenant theology so crucial for our understanding of the gospel mm -hmm. Well, we would never say, of course, that, that people who have never heard of covenant theology or, or may have disagreements with covenant theology could never understand the gospel. Totally. But what we would say is that you don't really fully appreciate the gospel until you understand covenant theology, because covenant theology helps you see the gospel in all of its dimensions and mm. splendor. And just some of the things that we've been talking about, the, the, the triunity of God in redemption, the way that salvation rests entirely upon the work of Jesus Christ, the uh, invincible power of the Holy Spirit to take of Christ and to give to us, that we are engaged to believe in God and to obey God and to give ourselves entirely to God, not to earn salvation, but, but in grateful response and in grace-enabled response 
to all that he has, has first done for us. The, the confidence that what God has begun, he will bring to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Hmm. So you, what covenant theology does is it helps us to see those, those gospel truths, puts them in their context and, and anchors them, uh, gives us a firm foundation. Yeah, and we can see the, the gospel clearly in the Old Testament too, like what you said, versus seeing maybe too strong of a division between the Old Testament and New Testament. One is law versus one is grace. That's a great point. I think <clears throat> what that does is covenant theology does. It helps us to, to break out of a New Testament Christianity. Of course, Christianity is in the New Testament, but <laughs> yeah. in the Old Testament as well. And it, it pulls in the whole of Scripture. Um, so that's a, a, a wonderful uh, point you make, that it, covenant theology opens up the whole Bible, which, of course, is what Jesus and the apostles do as they preach the gospel. They, they go back to the law, the prophets, and the writings. Yeah. Yeah, I think you unpacked the title of our podcast, too. Guilt, <laughs> yeah. grace, gratitude. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wonder where we got that one from. Huh. That's a coincidence right there, right? Yeah, what about that? <laughs> um, this is kind of a fun little question, knowing that we have some time. Um, we talked about the, the most important covenants, you know, the triune covenant that God has between, you know, himself and the Holy Spirit and Jesus, and then the covenants with humanity, mm -hmm. whether it's the law of works or and uh, grace. What about... And I know people think, ask this question, so it's not too crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, what about non-human <laughs> covenants, like creation, animals, mm -hmm. or even covenants with angels, uh, other heavenly beings, or even on the flip side, uh, demons? There's got to be a different type of covenant, because I don't know what you would say about that, because it's all about a contract, it's about a... Uh, a legal promise. So what would you say about that? Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, they're, they're great and understandable questions. Um, let, me, let me take each of those in turn. As, mm -hmm. as far as the angels are concerned, now we, we know that angels, of course, were, were created by God. Um, they, they excel us in, in knowledge and in power. Um, and we also know that uh, a number of the angels fell they they kept not their first estate and there are some who are, are called elect angels in in the new testament and what appears to have happened is that uh, when when satan rebelled some of the angels rebelled with him and others didn't but they didn't seem to have any kind of covenantal arrangement with god or with one another mm. and you know that that's something that's very striking the, the probation or testing uh, period of the angels was individual. Hmm. And with human beings, God suspended everything on one man, Adam. And for fallen angels, there is no mercy. Um, you know, Origen tried to argue that the people <clears throat> would be redeemed and nobody <laughs> followed him rightly. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but God comes to human beings, and he, he not only offers salvation, but he offers salvation uh, suspended upon the work of a representative. So we are, 
God's dealings with us as human beings are, are really covenantal from, mm. from start to finish. Mm. And when we think about animals, you know, covenants, when God makes covenants, it's, it's with, with human beings, his image bearers, who can relate to him, have communion with him. Because really the goal, as, as far as God is concerned, I mean, the ultimate goal is his glory, but the, the way he gets there is, is he wants us in communion and fellowship with him. He, he redeems us so that we would uh, draw near and, and, and have fellowship. And, you know, non-rational, non-animate creatures are just not able to do that. So certainly we know that um, animals in the creation, Paul says in Romans 8, they, they groan, they suffer under the effects of, of a cursed creation, our disobedience. And Scripture points to new heavens and new earth, and I fully expect that's going to be populated with animals who are going to share in the joy and delights of it. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say that Scripture allows us to, to point to covenants that God makes with them, so to speak. But certainly the whole creation gets mm -hmm. taken up in God's covenantal purposes. And that's, I think, a good thing to remember, that when we think about Christianity, we're in the West, in the U.S., 21st century, we, we think about me and we think about God. Mm. And what covenant theology does is it, it expands our scope. It says, look, salvation is not just about you. It's about a people. It's about the church. And the church is not just the people you can see here and today. It, it spans the ages. Mm. And God's purposes in covenant, in fact, in compass the whole cosmos we're looking to new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells so god's purposes do relate to me but they are so wide-ranging in scope as far as human beings as far as the creation it, it helps me to see that christianity isn't something that's that's private or uh, personal individualistic in that sense uh, it is personal but it is uh, cosmic in an important way as well. Mm. Mm. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, what a good conversation. This was uh, really helpful. Um, yeah, to kind of wrap it up, do you have any other uh, last thoughts or things that you wanted, you're looking forward to bringing up that you didn't <laughs> get a chance to based on the questions, uh, Mr. Waters? Well, you, you really surveyed the landscape very well on these questions um you know we've we've covered covenant of redemption covenant of work covenant of grace we've thought about how the gospel uh, pulls into this how this covers all of scripture uh helps us to understand uh christian life uh, the work of the church uh so uh, I think we've touched on, and I hope it whets the appetites of your, your listeners to pick up and read Covenant Theology a, a little bit more. If I can recommend a, a resource or two. Oh, yeah, I was just about to ask. Go for it. Um, and this is uh, unabashedly self-interested. <laughs> yeah. Just finished editing, uh, co-editing a book of my RTS colleagues have contributed uh, it's uh, called Covenant Theology, Biblical, Theological, and Historical Perspectives. 
Yeah, that just came out last week, right? Exactly. And it's uh, put out by Crossway, um, pulls together um, contributions from RTS faculty across our campuses. We, we have uh, pieces on the Covenant of Redemption, Covenant mm -hmm. of Works, Covenant of Grace in their various administrations. We, we look at uh, covenant across church history, ancient church, medieval, Reformation, Dutch Reform, modern. We look at some, some contemporary issues, dispensationalism, new covenant theology, progressive covenantalism, and then some uh, lateral issues, uh, covenants in Judaism, covenants in the ancient Near East. And uh, we've got a great annotated bibliography to wrap it mm. up. So I think whether you're, you're a beginner or whether you're, you're more advanced in your studies, there, there should be something in this volume for about everyone. So uh, again, I'm, uh, I'm biased, but I encourage everyone <laughs> to pick it up. Yeah, yeah, right. we'll link that to the show notes too. So if you guys are looking for um, some good reading, then we'll link that up and hopefully they, they get it and learn some more about Reformed Covenant Theology. Guy Waters, God bless you. Thank you so much. This was awesome. It's been a delight, Nick, Peter. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, thank you very much. We will talk to you guys later. See you guys next week. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed theological truth. Please subscribe to us on your podcast catcher. Review us. Give us five stars. Help others find this podcast through your review. Find us on Instagram and Twitter. If you want to follow us there, keep up with our updates and who we're interviewing next and a couple quotes that you guys might find really enriching. We hope to see you guys next week.